Happy Father's Day to all you fathers out there. Thanks for being here this morning. Uh, this is week two of this new conversation we're having about Jesus' genealogy. The series is entitled Bloodline. And last week, Andrew kicked us off by looking at uh, Sarah and moral compromise. Today, we're going to look at a new character um, in Jesus' genealogy. That's really hard to say, by the way. I don't know if you knew that or not. Jesus' genealogy. You say that like 10 times real fast, it'll be all messed up, I promise. Um, that has nothing to do with where we're going, but that's just a thought in my head. So uh, there it is. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to dive in this morning. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thanks that we get to stand before you and to worship you this morning. Thanks that that line is so true. There is no rival against you. You have already won for us the greatest thing that we could ever possess in this life, and that is eternal life with you, salvation through your death on the cross. I pray this morning as we get to look at some of the people that came before you, that we would be both encouraged and challenged. Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts where we're listening? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Nine years ago, Amanda and I made a decision which her and I knew was right, but in the world's eyes would have been thought of as wrong. Uh, you see, we've been at a church in Illinois for two years and, and it become to, to my knowledge that there was time for us to uh, pursue something different. And uh, at that time, I was the executive pastor of the church, about 250, 300 people. And uh, I could see myself and I could see others in the church who wanted me to be the next senior pastor of that church. Um, that was the kind of plan. That was where I was at. That's where we were headed. And God, through some circumstances, revealed that that isn't what he wanted for us. And so as uh, that had become real for me, um, I let Amanda know that. We started to pray through it, and she uh, was on board with that as well. And we began just to pray, asking God what might be next. Uh, soon I did a wedding. You've heard that story before. Uh, and the next thing I know, I was offered a position at a church called White River Christian Church, which I had never heard of. And, uh, and that position was the middle school pastor. And uh, I was so excited. In fact, when I walked away from the interview process, my wife looked at me and goes, this is, and I, listen, this, I was moving her away from her family. We live like a mile away from her mom. And I knew, and I knew when we started the process of interviewing here, I told God, you're going to have to convince her that this is what we're supposed to do, right? Like so much so that I didn't even ask her what she thought about it the whole time we were interviewing. We didn't even talk hardly at all about the position because I was so scared of what she would say. Like I was waiting for her to say, you're going to move me away from my mom and my dad and my sister. And, and I was just, I was panicked. Uh, but we got done interviewing. We went to get some ice cream and Amanda looked at me and said, this is what we're supposed to do. I know this is what's right. And so we were so excited when we started to tell our friends and family that we had uh, accepted a new direction, that God had led us here. We felt, truly felt like that. We knew it was what was right. Um, what I wasn't ready for was the response. Because you see, uh, if you look at the church like a corporate ladder, uh, going from an executive pastor to a middle school pastor seems like a step backwards. In fact, one of my friends literally told me, are you sure you want to go backwards in your position?" I don't know about you, but that kind of fired me up a little bit. We're, we're all called to serve the Lord. There's no forward and backward, right? And maybe you might see it that way. I didn't see it that way. I knew this was exactly what God wanted. And man, I were so sure that this was what was right. And yet there are people in our lives and some, even the world would have looked at it and thought, 
man, you're going backwards. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a character uh, in the Bible who had a chance to do what was right when the world would have said it was wrong. And here's the tension, okay? The, the tension is just, it's honest. It's all, for, every one of us deals with this at some point. The tension is when we have to make a decision, and maybe it's a huge decision that's going to affect your entire family. Or maybe it's a decision that, you know what, if you make it or don't make it, nobody's ever going to know. Well, the truth is, is that in those moments, we have to decide what we're going to listen to. Who will you listen to? Because today, there's no doubt, if you're following Jesus today, that that the Holy Spirit speaks to you and, and tells you to do things that you know are right. You hear those things. You can feel those things. You are even drawn towards them, just like I am. I Sometimes it's like, oh my gosh, I've got to go do this. But I know this is true too, that if you are that convinced that you're listening to the Holy Spirit, that the world's going to be screaming at you at the exact same time telling you to do something different. Telling you that, no, no, you can't go do that because if you go do that, you're going to look like this. Or if you, know, if you make that decision, your family's going to think that of you. And I think about some of the people in our congregation. I mean, these are people sitting next to you that have made decisions like this. Like I, there was an opportunity for one of you to become the CEO of a major company, one that we would all know in this room. And the question was, what, are you going to take that job? Uh, and that means being away from your kids and your family even more so than you already are. Or are you going to listen to what you know was right and not take that job so that you can be present for your kids, so that kids know who you are? As your pastor, I'm thankful that you ended up making that decision to not take the job. So there's somebody in here who decided, hey, listen, I've got, uh, God's blessed me plenty. I've got a car and I need to give it to somebody. Those are my favorite phone calls, right? I get a lot of phone calls. Some of them aren't my favorite. Uh, This is one of my favorites. I have a car and I want to give it to somebody for free. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Like, I can figure that out real fast, Right? God had blessed you so much. You know, the world would have looked at that, that CEO job, that world would have looked at that car and thought, why would you give that away? You can make money off of that. That could be your, I mean, you can make money. You can use that money to do something special for your family or buy something that you've always wanted. You take that job. I mean, that's, you're going to be making so much money if you take that job. Not, let alone like the respect that you're going to get for having it. Those are things, in those moments, We have the choice to listen to the world or to listen to the Holy Spirit. To maybe do what is right or to do what would be wrong when it comes to following Jesus. And I'll just be honest with you. I'll end with this question eventually, but sometimes we are faced with those and we haven't done what was right. At least I hope you haven't because I haven't. Hopefully I'm not alone in that. We're going to look at Jesus genealogy, there's a person who lands in this genealogy who had this kind of a situation. If you have your Bibles, open with me to Matthew chapter 1. His name comes up in verse 5. For the sake of reading a whole lot of names, I'm just going to read verse 5, all right? It says that Solomon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of King David. Our character for today is Boaz. Boaz, who uh, was 
whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Now, here's what I know that just rung true in your mind, right? Is you know who this person is, but you probably know who this person is because you know uh, the person they're married to. We all know the book of Ruth, right? It's not the book of Boaz in the Old Testament. It's the book of Ruth. It's Ruth's story. And when we look at that, uh, we oftentimes know exactly what took place in the book of Ruth. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip back to the Old Testament, find Ruth. You know, see, we, when we think about Ruth's story, we think oftentimes about Ruth and her devotion to her, her mother-in-law. If you remember correctly, the story goes like this. Um, Elimelech and Naomi had left uh, they had left their homeland because of a famine uh, and they, they wanted to go seek somewhere else where it'd be more comfortable to live. And so as they did, they took their two sons with them. Um, when they got to that land, uh, Elimelech died. Elimelech dies, they're in Moab. And uh, here this woman has her two sons, Naomi, and her two sons marry Moabite women. One's named Orpah, the other one's named Ruth. We're not sure who married who because it doesn't really actually tell us that. It just says one son married Orpah, one married Ruth. And after 10 years in this foreign land, um, having these two uh, sons who are married, both sons die. So now you're left with uh, a mother and her two widow daughter-in-laws. Mother who is also a widow. She has no husband, no sons. They have no husbands. There's no one. And here's the deal. We need to understand Old Testament context. There is no one to protect them. Right In the Old Testament at this time, in Ruth, this, it would have been very dangerous. The only thing more dangerous than a woman without a husband is three women without husbands. And there's nobody to provide for them, nobody to protect them, nobody to oversee them. In fact, that culture would have taken advantage of widowed women. And so this is a very dangerous situation. Naomi realizes this and Naomi tells her daughter-in-laws, I don't have anything for you. Go back to your families. The best thing for you to do now is to go back to your father and his household so that you can be protected and provided for. And Orpah, although she says she doesn't want to leave, she leaves pretty quickly. Then Ruth says, no, 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 I'm not leaving. There's no shot I'm leaving. I'm not going anywhere. I will go where you go. I will die where you die. I will serve the God you serve. But here's the thing. The book of Ruth, that's just chapter one. Right? That's just chapter one. Chapter one ends like this. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law, Ruth, the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring in the beginning of the barley harvest. All right, it's, that is just chapter one. I don't know about you, but that's what I think of when I think of Ruth. So what are chapters two through four about? Well, they're about what we're gonna talk about today. They're about this guy named Boaz. What they're really about is because you see, without Boaz, the book of Ruth uh, is just like kind of this feel-good story about a daughter-in-law and her mother-in-law. But with Boaz, the book of Ruth points to, it's a microcosm, a small picture of redemption that points to the bigger picture of Jesus ultimately coming and redeeming us. But we have to understand that in context. And so open up with me to Ruth chapter two. Here's where we'll pick up the story. Chapter one, or excuse me, chapter two, verse one. <laughs> now there was a wealthy, uh, excuse me, wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. One day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind 
by anyone who's kind enough to let me do it. Naomi replied, all right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, she found herself working in the field that belonged to Boaz, a relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. Okay, so here's, here's what's happening. They're in this land. This is now uh, Naomi's homeland of Bethlehem, but it, it is Ruth, for, she's a foreigner. This is a foreign land for her. And, and they have no way to provide for them. They have no man to provide for them. They have no protection. And so Ruth is asking Naomi, can I go out and can I do this thing called gleaning? Can I go out and follow those who are harvesting their fields and pick up anything that was left? We know from Leviticus that the, there was a law that you weren't allowed to go through your field twice as the owner uh, to make sure you got all the harvest. You were supposed to leave the edges and the things that you dropped for those who were poor and needy. This is what Ruth is gonna go do. She's gonna go out and she's gonna glean. The best way I can describe this, I, I just got back from vacation. Some of you asked me about my vacation. Thank you for asking, that's kind of you. We did a couple of days in Disney, uh, which is not a vacation. That is, that is straight up spiritual warfare. Um, and then, um, at least for the kids it is, right? And then we spent some time at the beach and um, that was completely relaxing, right? But there were seven grandchildren, okay? And you want to talk about gleaning, let's just get out a bag of five pound bag of M&Ms and I'll teach you about gleaning with seven grandchildren. Like they were like hawks, okay? Like, I mean, they devoured those things. By the time I got to the bag, there was two and a half M&Ms left, okay? Don't ask me about the half, we have a six-year-old, okay? Like two and a half, I was gleaning M&Ms for the week, okay? Like I was taking whatever was left over from those seven grandchildren. That's what Ruth is going out to do. She's taking what's left over in the fields to provide for her and her mother-in-law. And then the passage says this, and as it happened, she found herself working. Now here's the deal. That almost makes it seem like it was just a coincidence that Ruth ends up in Boaz's field. I don't know about you, but I don't believe in coincidences. I don't think it was a coincidence she ended up in Boaz's field. I think it was the hand of God guiding her to the right field, right? So I, I don't even necessarily agree with that translation probably in my own heart. It's not as it happened, as God would have it happen. She found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. Now, here's what you need to know, because this is sometimes we forget these things because we just read scripture and we kind of breeze through. What we know isn't what she knows. Okay, we know that she's in the field of Boaz, who is a relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. She doesn't know that. To this point, nobody's told her that. Naomi, now Naomi would know that, but Naomi doesn't know where she's at yet. She's just out in a field somewhere trying to gather food. They don't know that she has just so happened to end up in Boaz's field. That's going to be important for us to remember as we continue to read. So let's keep doing so. Uh, verse four, while she was there, uh-oh, sorry, my Bible changed, uh, page changed faster. While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. Then Boaz asked his foreman, who is that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? And the foreman replied, she is the young woman from Moab who be, came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She has been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes rest in the shelter. Boaz went over and said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. 
Don't go to any other fields. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. See which part of the field they are harvesting and then follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. Now, here's what happened. Boaz shows up, he returns home and uh, he noticed, he immediately notices her. Why does he immediately notice Ruth? Well, one, because he probably has never seen her before, but two, he probably recognizes that she's a foreigner, right? And at this time, uh, those who gleaned in your field, it was up to you whether you would let them glean in your field or not. And this is a foreigner. Most people who owned farmland wouldn't let foreigners glean in their fields. And so when he sees her, he says, who does she belong to? Well, the foreman, he'd been doing his job. He had met with her and already talked to her and knew exactly who she was. Well, he says, this is, here's who she is. She is the woman who came home with Naomi. Obviously the town knew Naomi had come home. Naomi kind of came home. If you remember, she was like telling everybody I'm bitter. Uh, The Lord's taken everything from me. You know, she's kind of made a scene as she came back into town. And so here the foreman knows who that is. And, And then he says, well, she asked, if she could glean in this field, I said, yes. And ever since she's been working hard, except for a couple minute break that she took. Here, he's given him all this information, Boaz, this information. And then this moment comes. This is the moment where Boaz has to make the decision. Am I going to do in this moment what is right? Or in this moment, am I going to do what the culture tells me I should do? You see, Boaz, if he was going to listen to the culture, should have said, you know what, Foreman, go tell her she needs to take a hike. Move on. Go find another field. You're a foreigner. You don't belong here. I don't owe you anything. Get out of my field. That's, what, that's how the book of Ruth should have ended. If Boaz was going to do what the world tells him to do, that's what he should have done in this moment. But you see, Boaz doesn't do that. It's, it's almost, I put a little line in between verse seven and eight, because that's, it doesn't say this in scripture, but this is the moment where it happens. Boaz has to make decisions. Am I going to do what is right? Here's a woman who's lost her husband, who's lost her brother-in-law, who's lost her father-in-law. They're desperate for protection, for food. And Boaz decides to do what is right in this moment, because verse eight, he goes over and he says to Ruth, not just hey, stay here. But he says, listen, I want you to stay in this field. Don't leave this, don't go to another field. What he's saying is if there's something that you can't find here, don't go somewhere else to find it. Just stay here and we'll figure it out. And then not only does that, he say that, he says, hey, I want you to join my harvesters, the women who are harvesting for me. So if you would have kind of think through it like this, Boaz would have sent his harvesters out. They would have started with a full field ready to be harvested. They would go through the whole thing, line by line, back and forth until the whole field was harvested. And then those who were poor and needy needy could come in and glean whatever was left over. Boaz just took her from gleaning as a poor and needy person and put her right into the cream of the crop. Gather here. And whatever you gather here is yours. That's That's huge for him to do this for a foreigner. Then he says, he offers her, so there he's offering her everything she needs as far as food goes. Then he says, I've also talked to the young men and told them not to harm you. What does he do there? He offers her protection. See, these are the two things that 
are not offered to her by not having a husband, by being widowed. And in this moment, Boaz does what's right. He restores those two things to her immediately, just as a foreigner who's working in his field. Why would he do that? The only reason I could think is because as God spoke to him in his heart and his mind, he said, this is what's right. This is what I want you to do. He was doing what was right when the world would have told him, hey, you're wrong. Every other owner of a field would have said, what are you doing? Why would you just let her glean? You don't have to move her up there and take part of your harvest. That's ridiculous. Protect her. Why did you tell her young men to protect? Don't touch her. Protect. She's a foreigner. Who cares? What are you doing? Because you see, Boaz was doing what was right wasn't doing what the world told him to do. It goes on to say that Ruth would work for him for two harvest seasons. That's quite a while, right? Probably at least a year, close to a year, something like that. All the while, not knowing exactly who he was until 2.20. In 2.20, Ruth 2.20, Finally, Naomi reveals reveals this because she comes home, has been working, has had all this food, is protected. And and she comes home to tell her mother-in-law, Naomi. And Naomi says in in 2.20, may the Lord bless him, Naomi told her daughter-in-law. He is showing his kindness to us as well to your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. Boaz was not just showing kindness to her, to Naomi, but to to her dead husband. Because you see, this is is him stepping in and kind of being, for the time being, just a a replica of that. Someone who's going to stand in the gap, fill the gap, provide and create safety for her. And then she says, this is one of our family redeemers. Sometimes it's referred to as kinsman redeemer. You You can't understand this story unless you understand the idea of a kinsman redeemer in the Old Testament. All right, so what's a kinsman redeemer? Kin, all right, okay, let me tell you the first time I heard that word. All right, some of you are from the South. I am not. Um, I lived in the South for a little bit and it took a long time to understand people down there, okay? Um, What? Are you speaking English? Um, I was on vacation in high school. I was with my cousin. We were uh, somewhere in Florida. We were in a hot tub hanging out and we had met some people from Alabama. And man, you talk about Alabama, that's like a whole nother language, okay? And um, they're speaking English, supposedly. Uh, and we start talking to this, this family and the mother asks us this question. She said, are you, are you guys kin? You know, and I'm a young, you know, kind of snap back kind of person. And I'm like, no, my name is Lance and this is JT. <laughs> what? Who's kin? Right? And she starts laughing at me. And I'm like, I, this, she must be speaking another language. Like, why are you laughing at me? She's like, no, honey, kin. Kin's like brother, sister, cousins, aunt and uncle, like family. And I'm like, what? She's like, so are you two kin? I'm like, well, he's my cousin if that makes us kin. You know, like together we're another guy's name. Okay, right? Like I had no idea what she was talking about, Right? A kinsman, kin means just family. You're the family redeemer. Ah, it took so long for me to understand. I still don't quite understand. But anyways, 
kinsman redeemer. It's a family redeemer. It's someone who is going to step in as part of the family and redeem that part of the family, what they've lost. You can read about it again in Leviticus. But you see, because Ruth had lost everything, there was still some land that was to her husband's name that didn't fall into her name because she was a female. That didn't happen in that time. And so here's this land that's kind of unoccupied, unobtained. It belongs to the family, but there's no male to take the land. And so what does Ruth need? She needs a male to take on the family name, to be able to have the land, to be able to provide for the family and carry on the legacy. And so in this moment, Naomi tells Ruth, hey, you have landed in a field of somebody who's our family redeemer. You have found favor with somebody who could possibly redeem our family. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. So it says in 23 that Ruth worked alongside the women for not just that harvest, but the barley harvest as well. And so then you get to, to chapter three. And chapter three is where uh, Naomi comes in because Naomi knows who Boaz is. Uh, she knows what he can do for them. Um, and so she sends at this point, Ruth to finally initiate, hey, I, Ruth, we need to ask him to redeem you. Verse seven says this in chapter three. After Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he lay down at the far end of the pile of grain and went to sleep. He most likely did that because he was trying to protect his crop, okay? Then Ruth came quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman laying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me for you are my family redeemer. Now see, this is all Naomi's plan. Naomi is the one who knows how, okay, we're gonna go about trying to get him to redeem you because if he redeems you, then we'll have our, our rights back. We would have our name back. We would not be bitter any longer. And so she says, hey, you're gonna get, you're gonna take a bath. You're gonna put perfume on me. And this might seem like um, he's, she's trying to do something that's inappropriate. It's not at all, Okay. What she's doing is she is presenting herself as somebody who as part of her family could be redeemed by him. And so she goes to meet and waits at his feet as a servant. And when he wakes, she immediately reveals who she is and says, spread the corner of your covering over me. Like she's, not, she's not wanting to get underneath the cover he's sleeping under. What he's, she's wanting to do is she's wanting to become a part of his family. She's wanting him to redeem her. And we know that because he says, she says right after this, for you are my family redeemer, my kinsman redeemer. She's asking him, would you do for me something that I can't do for myself? And again, this is a moment where, listen, Boaz has another moment where he's either going to choose to do what's right or he's going to choose to do what the world would tell him. Because at this point, this is not appropriate. This could be bad for his reputation. A woman who is at his feet in the middle of the night and he's found on the threshing floor with her, that could be bad for him. He doesn't have to redeem her. In fact, what we figure out as he continued to read, Boaz reveals to her like, no, I'm not the first person in line to redeem you. There's somebody in our family that's closer that he's, that he's the person who should actually redeem you. 
So we'll have to check with him first, but he's got to make a decision. Am I going to do what's right? Or am I going to do what the world would tell me? Because the world would tell me, reveal her, reveal her for what she just did and send her packing again. This is, this is not appropriate for a foreign woman to do. Now, is it the only way for her to initiate this with him? Yes, it is. And that's why she came at night because she didn't, Naomi knew like, we can't embarrass Boaz. We don't want to embarrass him in the middle of the day and do this in the middle of the day. So you're going to do this at night. And so sends her at, in the cover of night to do this. And Boaz has to make a decision. Am I going to do what's right? Because in this moment, what's right, and he probably knows this by now, is that I should redeem this woman. Because ultimately she is a part of my family. So Boaz says, the Lord bless you, daughter. Boaz exclaimed, you are showing even more loyalty now than you did before, for you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary for everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. But while it's true that I am one of your family redeemers, there is another man who is more closely related to you than I am. Stay here tonight and in the morning I will talk to him. If he is willing to redeem you, very well. Let him marry you. But if he is not willing, then surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lie down here until morning. And so she lay there till morning. And then as the story goes, she would go uh, and be redeemed. Uh, he would go find that person at the gate. He would have witnesses. Um, they would do this transaction where they take a shoe off. It's kind of confusing, but nonetheless, that's what they did. And this other redeemer said, no, I don't want to redeem her. And Boaz says, okay, I'm going to do that. And Boaz redeems her. So he marries her. And eventually they have a child who's named Obed. And when that child is born, Ruth is fully, and Naomi for that matter, is fully redeemed because now there is a male in their family line again. And everything, listen, this is the craziest part. Everything that Boaz gained, the land, the wealth, all that from, from that side of the family, he just gives back to this baby. All of it. That's the whole purpose. Is that the family redeemer takes on this extra work, extra, somewhat times extra income. Most of the time it's just extra work. And then when this child is born and they give it all back to that family so they can be in the family name, in Obed's name. And that's what he does. Because why? Because Boaz did what was right when the world would have said he was doing what was wrong. And as he redeems Ruth, oh, it's a beautiful picture. Verse nine and 10 in chapter four. Then Boaz said to the elders and the witnesses of the crowd today, your witnesses that I today bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, Malon. And while the land I have acquired, and with the land I've acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Malone to be my wife. This way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in this hometown. You are all witnesses today. And he chose to do what was right. And so the question that it's kind of, I've been wrestling with is like, what are the moments when I knew what was right? And yet I chose to listen to the world. What was the moments for you? What are moments that you maybe think of right now that you knew what was right? But instead you chose to listen to the world because, because 
who knows what that person would think of you or what would it look like if I chose to do this? Like, man, there are people that are uh, my coworkers that would think I'm absolutely insane for choosing to do this, but I know it's what's right. Maybe it's a family member that they'll look at you and say, I don't know, that's probably a bad decision. I don't know if you should do that. Maybe it's your mom and dad. Anybody out here like almost about to turn 40 and your mom's still trying to tell you what to do? <laughs> right? I think I got it, mom. When, when, when was one of those moments? And here's what I want to tell you. Because I don't want you to walk out here thinking, man, I've missed a lot of moments to do what was right because I just listened to the world. And we all did. The question for you and I is the next time we have the chance to do what is right and the world is screaming in our ears, are we going to follow the Holy Spirit and do what's right? Because what if Boaz kicked Ruth out of the field that first day? What if Boaz said, well, you could do it for one harvest, but not for two? What if Boaz would have exposed her on the threshing floor? and sent her away as a foreigner. What if Boaz would have said, there's somebody else that can redeem you. And if he's not willing to, I ain't willing to either. If Boaz would have done that, we would have never got Obed. Obed, who is the father of Jesse. Jesse, who is the father of King David. King David, who is the father of our savior. Great, 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 great father of our savior. Our redeemer, Jesus Christ. You see, when we do what's right, it represents God and it leads to his glory. And so I ask you, when was the last time you had the chance to do something that was right? Did you listen to the world? But more importantly, the next time you have a chance to do what's right, will you listen to what's right and not listen to the world? I'm gonna pray for you. Jesus, thanks that we get to look at your family line and we get to see people like this there's people that were just so messed up and there's people who were trying to do what was right by you and thank you for Boaz's life. Thanks that he chose to do what was right when other harvesters, farmers, people in his world would have looked at him and thought, man, you are insane. That is not what you should be doing. You don't owe that foreigner anything. And yet Boaz gave her everything. And then I think about you, Jesus. You didn't owe us anything. And yet you gave us everything. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for being our redeemer, our savior. We pray these things in your most powerful, most precious name. In the name of Jesus, amen.